Super Talk Mississippi media production. State Treasurer David McRae is returning record amounts of money to Mississippians, whether it's through the College and Career Savings Program or the millions in unclaimed money awaiting your claim. Treasurer David McRae says get your application and claims today. Treasury.ms.gov. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbard along with Rhino in the Alamutwell studio guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music. Morning there Rhino. Howdy howdy. Okay I gotta do my duty. I have to announce that today is my anniversary number 42. Congratulations. Appreciate that. 42 years of marital bliss with my lovely wife, Julie. So it was, uh, shall we say, a hot, humid, somewhat sultry day like it is today. We were on the beautiful Mississippi Gulf Coast, and we were married in the nativity of the BVM Cathedral in Biloxi, Mississippi there, right in the heart of downtown beautiful Biloxi. And it was a traditional Catholic mass, wedding mass, and which takes a little longer, by the way. Oh, yeah. So, but it was air-conditioned, but we were in there a while. And we wore what are called, the, uh, the groom and the groomsmen wore what are called morning suits. We had, it was gray tails, tucks with the ascot. It was kind of cool. We had all that stuff. I have to tell Honest, though, a little bit. The night before, my groomsmen decided to escort our group, uh, me included, of course, over to New Orleans. Of course, we're on the coast, right? We went to Paddo's and had some hurricanes. I think I got back about 6 o'clock in the morning for, a, I think it was a 10 or 11 o'clock wedding. And I'm proud to say we only got stopped three times. <laughs> I think twice going over, once coming back on the I-10 corridor there. Fortunately, my best man worked for the FBI. <laughs> he would flash those credentials and explain the situation. Nobody that was driving, it was him, was drinking, so we were good. But he had a bit of a heavy foot, shall we say. <laughs> and, of course, guess what? At 5 o'clock in the morning on I-10, they're like nothing around, as you can imagine. It certainly is not as traveled as it is today. But, okay, I'm telling on myself a little bit, I reckon. But I will never forget that. That was a 
a great time. It's been a great 42 years. I'm grateful for the uh, going through that period. You know, there are a lot of ups and downs in life, and certainly people that have been married know this. It's hard to make it work, but you can't. you got to be dedicated to it, and you got to be faithful. And I'm proud to say that we have made it work for 42 years. <laughs> uh, tomorrow we're over at the Neshoba County Fair. Do you know that? Oh, yeah. Heading <laughs> to the red dirt. <laughs> yep. The Mississippi's giant house party back and bigger than ever. We shall be there right in the heart of Founder Square. Middays with moi. We'll be there Wednesday. And the Gallo Show in Middays on Thursday. It's one of the most important events of the year, especially if you're a political junkie. And you'll hear from the candidates from across the state because election season, certainly the primaries, they are officially two weeks from today. We go to the polls to cast our ballots for our candidate of choice. I strongly encourage you that you exercise your right to vote. It's tough to complain if you don't. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Oh, my good friend Price Wallace, Representative Price Wallace, sends a happy anniversary text. I appreciate that, Price. Um, the markets, the Dow, kind of hopping around like the old kangaroo, as you like to say today. It's up three points right now. It is largely believed by folks that watch this for a living that the Fed is going to increase interest rates again tomorrow. Again. The 11th. The 11th pulling of the lever to raise rates, they're not happy at this point with where they've gotten inflation. It has come down. Of course, the president tells you that every day, does he not? There's just one little bitty, itsy bitsy teeny tiny problem. The price of oil has increased $11. That actually was as of close yesterday, this month. If you hadn't noticed, folks, the price at the pump's up. You notice that? It's oh, up. yeah. Yeah. So I guess what sticks out to me when I drive between here and my house and past numerous gas stations, all of which have the digital signs along the road there, is when you see that three-handle in front of the price of a gallon of a regular, I, I, I sort of notice that between the three and the two. So it's three. The handle is a three right now. Price is up. So it's hard for, the, for inflation to retreat when the price of fuel is rising. Hard to make that happen. And so I think this president has his hands full because right now he's boasting about his Bidenomics economic policies which he says are helping hard-working American families, except it's not. Because inflation, since he took office, on average, up 16%, wages up about 11 Real wages, therefore, which is the difference between the rising cost of living and the rise in income, that would be the computation for real wages, Upside down. 
your income buys less. Does he not think the American people see that every time they go to the grocery store, the gas station, etc.? I mean, do we need Corrine Jean-Pierre to tell us, <laughs> like Biden did when, when Obama got elected, he sent Joe out in the summer uh, to, to tout the, um, what was it called? Not the American Rescue Plan, the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act. Remember that? Signs all over the place. This road paid for by the American so-called stimulus plans, what it was called. And Biden was out. He would, he would hold these little sort of rallies, I guess, just little speeches for him as the vice president. And he would get in front of the crowd and say, it's working! <laughs> and they're all looking at each other. What, what's working? So when you got to scream at the mic to tell somebody something's working, so as to, I guess, cause them to just disregard and ignore reality, well, then you know you got a problem. And I think that's what's happening here, is that these policies are not, in fact, working, and the rise in the price of oil is going to make inflation a, a tricky task for the Fed, which means they're likely to continue to raise rates and there's still concerns among uh, corporate CEOs. Their outlooks aren't that rosy. Now, today, we will get some earnings reports after the bell. I think it's Microsoft. Who else is reporting today? Is it Google? It's a couple of the big techs are reporting. And then one tomorrow, three of the, the big seven, as they are referred to. So we're going to be watching that with a lot of interest to see what sort of earnings announcements we get, and more importantly, what sort of outlook these corporate CEOs provide to us. I just don't know at this point. It's, um, it's anybody's guess what they're going to say. Uh, also, a little positive news to report. Regarding a story we shared yesterday, the 68-year-old Lowe's employee over in the Atlanta area was terminated after she saw fit to intervene in what was a shoplifting event in progress, some $2,000 of merchandise. She had to literally beat up a little bit. Got a black eye. You've seen the videos of her, probably. She's been rehired, I'm happy to report. Rehired. I would imagine if Lowe's. if Lowe's didn't rehire her, there's plenty of small businesses that would love to have an employee with that much... Totally agree. ...gumption. Yeah. To put herself in the middle of that, knowing she is at risk of getting roughed up, and it's not her stuff. It's the stuff that belongs to the store, to the company she works for. I'd say that's a damn good employee. Little Faithfully by Journey. Appreciate that, Rhino. That in celebration, of course, for our anniversary today. Awesome. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. What? What? This is so awesome. 
on Super Talk Mississippi. Element Wealth Studio. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. At 1037 on the program today, Patrick Sullivan, president of Mississippi Energy Institute, well, we're going to be talking about energy. It's something we had just shared with you, that the price of oil up $11 as of the close yesterday. I believe it's up today, if I'm not mistaken, over 80 bucks a barrel now. So considerable rise that is affecting the price you are paying at the pump and is likely to affect the price of other goods that you acquire as well. Daniel Sparks, Senator from Mississippi's District 5, that includes Itawamba, Prentice, and Tishomingo counties. He serves as the Vice Chairman of the Senate Corrections Committee. You know what we're going to be talking about? The election coming up here. I think the Senator is has been an outspoken supporter of the Lieutenant Governor and has been somewhat critical of his colleague in the Senate, the challenger, Senator Chris McDaniel, both of whom will be speaking tomorrow. They are scheduled, if you look at the Neshoba County Fair calendar, and they will, of course, join us in the Element Well studio set up there in Founder Square tomorrow. We got a little fan set up, I'm told. Scary Gary always takes care of us in that regard. But we'll be over there bringing you live the candidates as they typically depart the stage and come over and talk to us, and we'll ask them about their vision, their message. Ought to be a lot of fun. Something else I wanted to just clarify, uh, it, it concerns a discussion. I meant to do this yesterday. I apologize. The, we had a, a, a great discussion with Grover Norquist on Friday, president of Americans for Tax Reform, and something came up that I asked him about the minimum tax on corporations. And what Mr. Norquist uh, talked about was this this effort on the part of Secretary of the Treasury Janet Yellen and the Biden administration in general to join up the United States with other G7 nations to implement a minimum corporate tax globally. And what I was actually, and I said that, that a minimum tax had already been passed. I I poorly structured the question. I take responsibility for that. What I was really talking about was the minimum tax that is now in effect on domestic corporations. It is U.S. law. Uh, it's similar to what 
is being pursued on a global basis, if you will. But specifically, and Mr. Norquist said, yeah, that's they're working on that that hadn't been implemented, and I apologize. What has been implemented is a minimum tax on corporations in the country whose earnings are at least a billion dollars. Pardon me. Revenue, revenue is at least a billion dollars annually. That was one of the tax provisions of the Inflation Reduction Act. What the hell raising taxes has to do with curbing inflation, I'm still sort of puzzled as I, as I remain about that bill, in its, it's certainly in, in its labeling, in its branding. That has been implemented. It's expected to maybe produce $15, 20000000000 dollars, and I know that's a lot of money to us as individuals. It would be a lot of money to us in the state of Mississippi. It's like less than peanuts when you're dealing with a $6 trillion budget. Uh, it's, it's more about show. We got those corporations. And so what the context that's always left out of that discussion is that corporations uh, keep two sets of books. We've explained this. They they keep literally a financial accounting set of books, those they use to prepare, produce, present financial statements in accordance with what what is called GAAP, Generally Accepted Accounting Principles. And then they keep a set of books for tax purposes because there are certain deductions that are allowed for tax purposes that aren't for book purposes, financial statement purposes. And there's, so there's, there's some what are called reconciling items that primarily incorporates and refers to in, uh, depreciation. depreciation. So when corporations are allowed to immediately expense certain capital equipment, investments in in capital equipment assets, physical assets that are depreciable, they can write all that off in the year of purchase. And that may cause them to have no tax liability because they, they make some significant investments in these assets and it reduces their income for tax purposes. They don't have a tax liability. Well, what the law that Biden signed, the Inflation Reduction Act, says, look, if you compute it and your taxes come out to be less than 15% of your financial statement computed income, you got to pay the 15%. It's a small amount of money, and it's, again, more symbolic in nature for show. What Janet Yellen wants to do, and Joe Biden, this is what Mr. Norquist was talking about, referring to, they want to implement this minimum tax globally. That's not so much targeted at companies in this country, but there are some other countries, such as Ireland, which have a very low corporate tax rate. There are some that have no corporate tax rate. And so this group wants to say, no, you guys all got to raise your taxes and implement this minimum tax on corporations to level the playing field. We don't want you competing for, for corporations, businesses to locate in your country with these more favorable tax treatments. It's like telling Shohei Atani, look, dude, you can't throw the fastball anymore, and you need to keep the ball in the park. You're making everybody else look bad. That's exactly – you got it. Uh, exactly right. I've often 
used a similar analogy. Let's just cut Michael Jordan's legs off so we can compete with him on the basketball floor. He'd still whip my tail. That's probably true. I've said before, Tiger Woods cut his hands off so I can compete with him in golf. He'd still probably beat me. But that it is true. That, that Those are, I think, accurate analogies of what the Biden administration wants to do. And it's they don't want open competition. But I thought Joe always said, but I'm a capitalist. Speaking of, i got to share this news. This is very disturbing, in my view. A recent survey, this was just conducted. It was a national survey among students, college students. Only 23% said they have a positive view of capitalism. And I've discussed this before. This is ground zero. Ground zero for the path that this country's on to shift away from free market capitalism. It begins on college campuses. Now, Marxists and communists have inhabited the college classrooms for decades. But it's so pervasive now. And they are brainwashing students. They're telling them, for example, that capitalism drove slavery. That capitalism is the reason people have been enslaved. That capitalism is responsible for the Civil War, for other wars. It's all rooted in capitalism. You know, that system that allows you to keep what you earn except that which you have to send to the worst fiduciaries on the war in the world, that would be the U.S. government. Fiduciary, of course, you're responsible for, for someone else's money. Hey, this is disturbing to me. Well, you got to either be lazy, stupid, or ignorant, or a combination of the three to sincerely believe capitalism is bad. Most students do not believe that capitalism can solve big challenges. Huh? Who got to the moon? The highest number believing so are conservatives. No no secret there, no surprise there. And yet, less than half of them, half of people who describe themselves as conservatives, on our college campuses say they have no faith in capitalism's ability to solve the world's problems. How the hell do they think This country has done more, you and I have talked about this extensively, to reduce the carbon footprint than than all the others combined. And it all came from ideas, innovation, capitalism. Somebody was able to produce a profit by solving the problem of carbon emissions. And that's how we will solve that problem. Not those fools in Washington that say, now we gotta we gotta do away with your present hot water heaters. You've heard of this? Water heaters, pardon me. I don't want people to jump. Attention adoring fans! It's time for Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi.
Welcome back, everyone. It's midday, Super Talk Mississippi. We thank you so much for joining us. I got so fired up in the last segment, I bled over uh, the break, the transition of the break. I apologize for that. We welcome now to the program Patrick Sullivan, President of Mississippi Energy Institute. Patrick, thanks for coming in. Sure. Glad to be here. Well, I was just talking about the uh, rather sharp rise in the price of oil per barrel, up $11 as of the close yesterday. Uh, according to my calculations, this month, right? So we've seen a significant increase over the last month. What's going on there? Well, I'm afraid it's going to be uh, more to come as we as we go down the road. You know, last week, uh, Biden's energy secretary uh, on Friday, when asked about oil markets and gasoline prices, said, well, we need to get the supply up. Then the very next day, uh, the, the, the uh, or I guess that was Saturday, the day before, Biden's uh, Bureau of Land Management uh, had proposed rules to dramatically increase restrictions on onshore production and increase royalty rates paid to the federal treasury and increase bonding requirements. And then the very next day, Granholm, Jennifer Granholm, comes out and says, well, we need to get supply up. Um, and then, you know, you there was a report earlier in the week last week about all of the incentives and tax credits out of the so-called Inflation, Inflation. Reduction Act. And, mm-hmm. Uh, most of the, you know, quote, clean energy investments are for battery production for electric vehicles. Mm-hmm. And, and those are great new products. I see a lot of my neighbors driving them. But, you know, I think the question is, uh, the story was about how the majority of the incentives are going to foreign, <clears throat> foreign-owned foreign companies. Yeah, and, setting up shop in, here, in the, this country, right? Right, and, yeah. and Mississippi's benefited greatly from yeah. uh, investments from Nissan and Toyota and companies like that. But... You know, the question is, why should we heavily subsidize one thing, you know, when we're penalizing or adding costs to another thing? The other thing happens to be, you know, American-based energy production from American companies and hiring American vendors and American employees. Um, and so the obvious answer is, you know, we're at this point where it's very obvious. Yeah. Uh, what they're trying to do is restrict uh, oil and gas production uh, and trying to manipulate the marketplace through subsidies and heavy-handed regulation to encourage people to buy or force people to use the things that they want people to use. It's a bit hypocritical, isn't it, Patrick, when you've got, uh, I guess, clean energy proponents who are also opponents of traditional fossil fuels that they 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 uh, regularly denounce subsidies or any sort of of federal law that gives any kind of economic favorable treatment to traditional oil and gas companies, yet they create this giant structure uh, of tax credits, not only to the makers of, of green energy products, but consumers of those products. Yeah, before the break, you were talking about capitalism. Yeah. You know, and you know, why not just let Capitalism sort it uh, out. Force companies to to make better products. Sure. I mean, just like I said, a lot of my neighbors. I live in the Madison community. I can see more and more electric vehicles on the road, and those are just Teslas because those are the obvious ones. Yeah. Uh, so so people for whatever reason are choosing to buy those. But you were talking about water heaters and <laughs> and gas stoves. Last year we did a kitchen remodel, and, and I bought a gas stovetop with an electric uh, is a dual fuel electric oven with a gas stovetop. But I read last week one of my friends that lives in the D.C. area. He bought an electric induction uh, cooktop, hmm. and, and and his he explained it, and, and he's from Oklahoma, so he's from oil and natural gas area. But 
he explained it. it's like we just we studied the products and we found that that for them that was a better product uh, so why not just let people choose but that's not what's happening and I'm afraid if if we get another term of the Biden administration it's going to get out of hand I, mean, I think I think I've heard you talk about what they're doing with uh, you know, forcing the the manufacturing of automotive automobiles to be you know, under their zero tailpipe emissions rule right by 2032 they want two-thirds of the, of yep. the cars manufactured in the US to be you know, basically zero zero emissions vehicles which is only one option for that right. uh, electric vehicles again electric vehicles are a great new option but they're not for everybody and so when we when we get politicians in Washington trying to trying to cram these things down the, and, and manipulate the economy uh, con, uh, negative consequences are bound to follow yeah they they need to take a cue from their own uh, cultural doctrine of diversity and apply that to the energy matrix I mean what I, I'm for electric vehicles but I'm not for killing fossil fuels powered vehicles uh, in exchange for that what about all the above I mean it seems like that is the way to service our demand and keep prices down well I mean I think at the root of all this is just foolishness and, and, and ignorance and so I mean I think what you're saying is that the scale of energy is something that is almost incomprehensible yeah, in, in how we absolutely. use it. And so there's plenty of room for everybody to play. Whether you're talking about the electric power market or the automobile market, and you're talking about solar energy or nuclear energy or natural gas-based energy or electric vehicles or inter- internal combustion engines, there's plenty of room in the marketplace, not only in the U.S., but globally. I mean, just like we're talking about, we're participating in a global society these days. And, we, and energy's uh, global. Uh, there's no question. Uh, and, and now... You know, natural gas has always been the fuel that was the domestic fuel, but now we're exporting natural gas, right? Which is great for American producers and and uh, great for uh, you know the, the U.S., which is the dominant natural gas producer in the world, right? Uh, but let's uh, talk about Mississippi. Amazon, uh, I know, has had a stated goal for some time of being uh, operating all of its facilities on 100% renewable uh, energy. And they're making some investments in that in Mississippi, right? Yeah, that was announced recently uh, up in northwest Mississippi, in, in Tunica County. Those big tech companies are, are, are clearly stating goals of uh, of being responsible for uh, enough power generation, carbon-free power generation, to offset what they use. And right. so, I mean, I think the way that that deal works is they've got an operator out of a company out of Virginia that's going to own and operate that system for them, and I assume Amazon is going to finance uh, the deal and so that power actually go onto the grid uh, and they, okay. they will be participating in a competitive marketplace okay. I haven't seen the numbers on that but I assume what Amazon's doing is they're uh, they are accepting they will be accepting a low rate of return or even a negative rate of return uh, just to achieve their goals and I think you're seeing that with some of the other Apple's big, big, doing the same thing Microsoft too they uh, obviously operate data centers those are huge consumers of power um, Google as well. Right, what about uh, hydrogen production in Mississippi? Some uh, some news on that? Well, there's some activity there. Uh, okay. There's been a company that's been at work here, uh, you know, down in the. They've got a property down below, had a salt dome property where uh, they plan to store, and so they made application for uh, federal dollars uh, to help in the development costs, which is estimated to be a three billion dollar project. Hydrogen is one of those fuels. Uh, it's not quite ready for prime time yet, and uh, I think a lot of 
uh, people smarter than me think it's a promising fuel of yeah. the future, uh, primarily for transportation fuel and, and industrial fuels, not so much for electricity because the way you make hydrogen is from electricity. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I think that's, uh, depending on who you talk to, that's somewhere out there on the horizon. Gotcha. Well, again, I think that's just another example of, hey, we should welcome all forms of energy and all human innovation to to help us uh, just continue to meet the demand of well, society. I think what people need to understand is is the scale of energy and whatever kind of energy you're talking about. There's positives and negatives with everything. Sure. So, uh, talk about the wind project up in Tunica. We we haven't had wind production in Mississippi up to this point. Uh, you see it widespread up through the Midwest and down into Texas. Uh, there's you know part of the negatives with that is uh, just the aesthetics, the land use aspect, the people that live near those. Uh, you hear a lot of negativity from the lighting and the uh, yeah. you know, wildlife impacts, and so you know, we'll see in Mississippi you know how people react to to that development. Mm. Uh, the advantages, obviously, of something like that are no emissions, uh, you know, no fuel cost associated. So all of the costs are in construction and operation, unlimited supply. Yeah, technically and speaking, and you can go down to every energy source and talk about the advantages and disadvantages. Sure, makes makes total sense. I, I think the the concern I've always had, Patrick, is that. The government's trying to force a time frame that's just not tenable. And if that means you got to do without something, they seem to be okay with that. Well, all we have to look at, we don't have to guess what that looks like. Just look over at Europe and ask anybody in Europe yeah. today. Uh, Germany is in the process of deindustrializing because of the decisions they've made you know, some 20 years ago. Um, so crazy. Uh, we don't have to guess what what. The, the consequences of all this. Well, making people poorer certainly doesn't help the problem of carbon emissions, it would seem. So that just not logical. Well, energy poverty, um, that's a new term, okay. something we, may, we okay. may want to talk about. Makes sense. Patrick, appreciate you coming in, man. Thanks yes, a lot. Sir. We'll talk some more. Thanks. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi. It's a little bit funny, this feeling inside. I'm not one of those who can. Easily hide. I don't have much money, but boy, if I did, I'd buy a big house where we both could live. If I was okay, so Julie and I adopted that tune back in college when we first started dating. It's kind of ours. Appreciate that, Rhino. 
Several on our text line have extended congratulations on my 42nd anniversary. So much appreciate that, folks, and very much appreciate you guys joining us uh, for the show. It's the audience that makes the show possible, and, and we don't say it enough, but we want to extend our gratitude for tuning in. And, and uh, you know, sometimes we may conflict on our views and disagree a bit here, but we do it respectfully. And we keep, a, I think, a respectful discourse, but really does make the show possible, and I hope it makes it uh, enjoyable and informative. That's what we're all about. Congrats, Gerard. Here's to 42 more, says Ben from Madison, Mike and Fannin. Also, Keith and Vaden says, I was, I was 42 years last month. Congratulations, Keith. That's awesome. Mose, happy 42nd. Sharon and Brandon, my good friend. Happy anniversary, Gerard. Julia is a saint. Laugh out loud. You both are wonderful. She certainly is, Sharon. I appreciate that. Uh, happy anniversary to you and your wife, says Terry. Mailman Clayton says, congratulations, Gerard. Got you beat by five years. Wow, that's awesome, Mailman. Congratulations. Uh, happy anniversary from Aubrey, who says, I identify as a man, by the way. <laughs> That's awesome. Mark from Gulfport says, Faithfully is probably my favorite Journey song. Wow, it's 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 maybe mine as well. Um, Mark, honestly, if that doesn't showcase the talents of the band and certainly the range and the voice of Steve Perry, I'm not sure else what else uh, does in there repertoire of tunes. I told you I like to watch the reactions on YouTube Oh yeah, from the young folks that, I don't know who these Journey people are, and they'll fire up faithfully and, and um, see Neil Sean's fingers going a gazillion miles per hour. The video really hones in on that, and one of the riffs, and, and of course, Perry just wailing, and they're just like blown away. They don't make music like that, as they say. Anymore, I was thinking right? about that during your song by Elton John, because yeah. My generation was reintroduced to that song in the 2001 movie Moulin Rouge. Oh, yeah, exactly. I hadn't thought about that. But that song, it was, what, 30 years old at that point? Uh, 83, I believe. So, um, not quite. You're talking about Faithfully? Yeah. Your song. Your song. Oh, your song was like like 1970. Yeah, 7072. Right, right. That was in Moulin Rouge. Right, exactly. I didn't follow what you were talking about. Yeah. That's right. And that's kind of Elton John's sort of golden years at 70 through 75, oh, I, would, yeah. I would argue. Uh, Captain Fantastic, you remember? <laughs> In the full feathered regalia with the big <laughs> glitter glasses. That's awesome. He is uh, an eccentric individual, shall we say. I probably don't agree with him a whole lot politically, but his talent's undeniable. Right? Oh, yeah. Reginald Dwight? I think that was his, if I'm not mistaken, his real name. I don't know who named him, Elton John. He and his songwriting partner, uh, is it Bernie Toppin, yep. I believe? Yeah. Let's see. Uh, Andy and Jackson, happy anniversary, Gerard. Lowe's may have rehired the fired employee in the loss prevention <laughs> department. It is upside down, though, isn't it? You want like a thousand of her working for you, don't you? You don't want people that would stand around and fold their arms and say, oh, yeah, look at them thieves just 
ripping us off blind here. Was it yesterday or over the weekend where it was CNN was in San Francisco reporting on shoplifting, and while they were there, just for an hour at the Walgreens, they saw three separate incidents of shoplifting? They say they're locking up toothpaste and baking soda and the like. That's insanity. They have and we bags all of coffee for- under lock and key. And so we're all paying for that. That costs money. Money that they didn't plan on having to spend. Just think of how much better our society would would be if people just acted right. Real simple. Just act right. Don't take other people's stuff. But it doesn't help when you've got left-wing loons justifying it, rationalizing it, condoning it, sanctioning it, sanctioning it, including our vice president. You talked about it yesterday, right? Set up a fund for bail. Unbelievable. Oh my gosh. Michael and Laurel, wow. Two seventy seven for gas there, Michael? Sent a photo. I I haven't seen any regular they they're probably still pumping what they got left over. They hadn't gotten to the more expensive delivery yet. Carolyn Starkle says, why do you think they're going after the little ones, too? Brain more able to mold younger. I mean, it's the Marxists say that, right? Got to get to the young people and brainwash them. You'll get what you want in society, which is a Marxist society. It's time for a break right here on Middays. It's top of the hour. That means Fox News, Super Talk News. Senator Daniel Sparks, when we return. Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply deeply. and look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone you are tuned into middays and we are live in the element wealth studio we're conducting our final show here in the studio before we head over to the neshoba county fair that would be the uh, largest house party in the world right that's where we're headed founder square speaking of which we welcome in the studio senator daniel sparks he represents mississippi's district five that includes itawamba prentice and tishomingo counties serves as the vice chairman of the senate corrections committee that's current right that Still is correct right? yes so i think senator welcome first of all the um, last time you and i visited was up at Itawamba Community College on uh, graduation day. That's exactly right. Appreciate you coming up there and, and highlighting the good work our community colleges are doing. It's awesome. It's it's amazing. By the way, happy anniversary. Thank you. Uh, Appreciate for, that. 42 years. In December, I'll have the two part down. I, I don't know how close <laughs> I'm going to get to the 42, but I'll at least have the two. <laughs> well, um, it's it's been uh, an awesome ride uh, with my lovely wife. And, you know, uh, it's hard to make that work, but... But uh, you just got to have your faith in in each other and in and in God and be inspired by that and and we've been blessed indeed. It's, it's wonderful belief. to have a great partner. No, no doubt about it. All right, so 
Uh, it made sense to get you on because we got elections two weeks from now. You, of course, first of all, are a candidate yes, for re-election. I am, Gerard, and I'm thankful the, the good folks in Senate District 5 are allowing me to go back unopposed. Um, it's been an honor to serve the last four years and uh, a lot to learn. And uh, through a freshman term, but I, I've really enjoyed it working with uh, my mayors, my supervisors, local people, uh, regional and federal delegation. You just you learn how to um, serve the people you're elected to serve, and, and it takes a little while. Yeah. So when you're in session, do you seem to get more communication from your constituents than you do when you're out of out of session? I would say generally that's true, and I've had some great uh, communication. Like I'll sit, I'll be sitting in the room, whether it's a committee meeting or on the floor, and I'll get a text from say my circuit clerk in Tishomingo County because he did text me about an election bill or the the election integrity bill. So people are watching, and that's one of the great things uh, Lieutenant Governor Hoseman brought in 2020 was a campaign promise to put video and audio in the committee room. So now the floor has been covered for several years. People can go watch it on YouTube, and uh, they can watch it at their own convenience, and I encourage them to do that. But I have people watching it live, and my phone will go off. They'll text me. They'll say, <laughs> hey, that bill does such and such, but here's a problem with it. And I'll stand up, maybe walk over to the side, take a phone call. Hmm. I mean, that's real uh, activity that helps me do my job. Yeah. That's that's amazing. So uh, some degree of perhaps enlightenment from constituents because you guys have three thousand bills. There ain't no possible way you can be proficient in the content uh, that is incorporated in such a wide variety of of just issues and topics that are contemplated and included in the, in those measures. Absolutely. One of the big things, and I spoke this past weekend at several volunteer fire departments, uh, one of the things is raising money for those areas, how they buy fire trucks, how they buy their turnout gear and air packs, and the prices have gone up. And we have federal programs, regional programs, state programs. You know, I serve a rural part of the state. It's different than, say, you know, a downtown city. So it, yeah. you rely on those people to be your expertise because you can't know enough uh, to get the job done without their help. Yeah, and that's uh, so a lot of people I think tend to have uh, maybe a misguided impression of say the value of lobbyists because to a great extent lobbyists educate and inform. As long as you can be educated, you can then make a conscious decision. Uh, the problem is, is when you make an unconscious decision. Yeah. Sometimes we're like, oh, well, I'll just do what somebody says. I, I, I like to dig into the details, like to do the research, and then make a decision. And, and sometimes uh, that decision maybe is in line with the person that's trying to educate me. Sometimes it's right the opposite, and that's okay. Yeah. So um, the race for lieutenant governor certainly uh, pops up as as arguably the most intense, the most contentious as we approach uh, election day, two weeks away from today. Uh, at the top of the ballot, you've got a governor's race, but I, I think at this point that doesn't seem to be the one getting a lot of attention and from a primary perspective. Sure. Now, once we pass the primary, we get into the general. A uh, different story then, of course. But I think it's safe to say that uh, and the other statewide leaders really seem to be uh, without, I think, uh, well-funded uh, candidates, shall we say, that really don't have a lot of resources and assets to, to make their pitch, to make their appeal. But this lieutenant governor's race includes an incumbent, Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman, of course, and then uh, a sitting senator. Uh, Senator uh, Chris McDaniel, no stranger to statewide races, very effective campaigner, very effective communicator, and has significant name ID. But 
this thing is heating up. And where I'm going with this is one of the things that the senator has has been critical of the lieutenant governor about is um, a, appointment of Democrats to serve as committee chair. And you and I had a discussion about this. I don't mind telling our audience over the weekend, because I was trying to learn. I called you because I've done some research on this. You sitting in the senator and uh, in the Senate uh, and, and being somebody that I felt like I could have a conversation with, I called you just for clarification, not to get so much your take on it. I just want to try to understand, because I want our people, our audience, to understand. So we have 45. I went through the math. We have 45 committees. Two committees in the Senate do not have committee chair. I can't remember the names of those committees, but the nature of the work they do, there's no chair structure. All right, And then there's one committee that, until you informed me, I wasn't aware, but I noted it. Well, it's, it's chaired by the lieutenant governor. And you shared with me, that's a legislative budget committee that rotates between the, I guess, is it on a term basis, it, It's Senator? year to year. Speaker, year to year. Speaker okay. To the lieutenant okay. Governor. So during a term, each gets two years Correct. to head that committee. That makes sense, because yeah. that's more of a statewide sort of right. matter. All right. So that being said, that leaves 42 committees. We have 36 Republicans. And we had 13, um, 13 Democrats appointed. So that puts us, according to my math, at 29. That leaves seven Republicans. You and I went through this yeah. exercise, seven Republicans that did not get a committee chair. And one of the things you, you kind of opened my eyes about was that we had a large number of freshmen, including you. That's right. And, it, you know, you go back to the name ID issue, and, and you're correct, in all the statewide races, at least in the primary, um, Candidate McDaniel would have name ID because it's the fourth time he signed up to run for a statewide race. He has a very faithful following, uh, people that have, have supported him uh, for a decade. They're very passionate. Um, and, and he's been messaging about this race. As I go back and look at it in retrospect, he's been messaging for two and a half years on this race. Because if you go back and look, this Democratic chairman uh, issue came up way back when. So while the rest of us were legislating for the state of Mississippi, he was already campaigning. So he beat he beat them to the punch. But on the chairmanship issue, there were 10 freshmen that came in in 2020. I was one of them. Nine of them were Republicans. Now, 13 committee chairmen were Democrats appointed by Lieutenant Governor Hoseman. As I understand it, I know he met with me. Each senator met with a lieutenant governor, and he kind of inquired about their interest, their experience. I'm on nine committees. I really do believe he put a lot of thought and focus of the combination of these committees. I believe all committees have Republican majorities as far as the membership goes. This, not, this is not Washington, D.C. You don't get a staff. You don't get a, a lot of money related to this. Uh, I think it's one extra constituent day per month out of sessions, like $150 time eight. Well, that's about you know, $1,200 pre-tax. Um, but but you're, you're just not in a, in a situation where if you get it, you know, money is not the driving force. Then the bills go. But here's my kind of retort to that. I don't know if that's seniority-driven, traditional. Of course, the lieutenant governor inherited a bunch of freshmen. But Governor Reeves had 13 Democratic chairmen in his second term. 
He had 17 in his first term, and Governor Bryant had 19. So it, to, to make such an issue, and it is it has traction. I was asked about it yesterday. Yeah. Um, but it is not Washington, D.C. It, it, this is something I think that has been a real good political spin, but it's spin. Uh, tell me Republican legislation that hasn't come out because of the chairmanships. I'm not a chairman, but I managed to pass several bills with the help of my colleagues in the House and the Senate um, Senator McDaniel hasn't passed a substantive bill in 10 years. He's been a chairman that whole time. Has not passed a substantive bill. Uh, the other thing I find interesting, and maybe this is the question that sh- people should be asking, what are you doing with your chairmanship? Uh, Senator McDaniel is a chairman. He's, he wasn't left out. He's a chair of Environmental Protection, Conservation, and Water. When we come back, or I'll give you a quick list. Yeah. What about the Jackson Water situation? He's had no hearings in four years. Madison County Landfill, the ARPA funds to rural water municipalities, the Bonnie Carey Spillway, the Wildlife Trust Fund, every one of those are in his committee category. He could have called hearings, had you know all this radio time or television time. He's not held a hearing in four years. So me not being a chairman or him being an ineffective chairman is about equal. We'll continue this discussion with Senator Daniel Sparks in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Now, now, onto the real part. Dynamite! On Super Talk Mississippi. Back in the Element Well studio, we've got Senator Daniel Sparks joining us today. We're two weeks away from primary day. i got to get this. Ben from Madison says, we're talking about energy, it'd be neat if we joined Georgia in adding a new nuclear reactor to our energy grid. I agree with you, Ben. And I'll add something else. Kevin O'Leary, also known as Mr. Wonderful in the investment world, he says that uh, he's putting a fund together to build a refinery in this country. And he's looking for a place to locate it. And I'd like to just announce to everybody in the state of Mississippi that's got authority and power, we should be talking to Mr. O'Leary about locating that uh, refinery in the great state of Mississippi. He's made that announcement. And Rhino, we've shared it before. I think we've even had clips where CEOs of the major oil companies have said, there's never going to be another refinery built in this country. And O'Leary says, hold my beer. And he's got the means to do it. So just just a little shout-out there, <laughs> a little bug in the ear. Uh, maybe we can put something together to approach Mr. O'Leary about uh, locating a refinery project in the state of Mississippi. 
I think you're right, and I think the other thing that, that we see is, for instance, the CHIPS Act came out. I didn't realize 80% of our semiconductors were uh, finalized in Taiwan. Well, we also com- uh, we make some of those component parts. Actually, some of those component parts are made in my district. Yeah. Uh, so not only do we need to secure the semiconductor construction at the end of the game, we need to secure the supply chain. It's the same way about fuel. It's the same way about you know no refining. We're just, we've let regulation drive us into a, um, into a lesser strong position than we should be in in this country. Totally agree. All right, so we're, we were, before we went to break, we were talking about this committee assignment stuff, and uh, and, and you gave a great uh, uh, assessment of that and just overview of how that works. I, I, so I'll ask this question. We have 45 committees, as we noted at the top of the last segment. Do we need 45, and who determines how many we have and how we how we sort of structure and organize that? As I understand it, over the years, they have grown um, in number, sometimes probably out of necessity or need. Uh, we have a gaming committee. Obviously, we didn't have a gaming committee 20 years ago, maybe. Yeah. Um, and Medicaid, if I'm not mistaken, Medicaid was pulled out of public health uh, that um, you know became such a focus financially of what the budget looks like. They wanted to focus on it. And then there's some bills that, that don't see a lot of traction. So, Or excuse me, committees that don't see a I lot think of traction. Five, if and, I'm not mistaken, and, got zero. Right. And I, I don't have a problem with them shrinking the number of, of committees. But by the way, there's no double-up chairmanship either. I don't want well, somebody to think. I wanted yeah. to ask. So that was my next question. So we, we just went through the math. We got 36 Republicans, and we have uh, 42 committees right. that uh, have a chair appointed to them, assigned to them. Uh, if we did an all-Republican appointment, that means some chair persons would have multiple committees. That's right. Or you're going to eliminate some of the committees. And I also, I don't want to be a chairman just because I got an R by my name. I want to be a chairman because I can be beneficial to that committee. Maybe it's a knowledge base someone has. Maybe a chairman. I know my predecessor, J.P. Wildman, uh, was a longtime alderman in Belmont, 30 years, and he chaired municipalities. Now, he was in an opposite party than I'm in, but I think he would do a phenomenal job chairing municipalities. So, hey, whoever uh, is elected, they can choose to appoint who they want to appoint, but this is in consistency with Governor Bryant, Governor Reeves, uh, excuse me, when they lieutenant governors, yeah. and I just think it's been a really good political move that has no substance. Okay, so then the, the, you made a point, and, and it's it kind of leads me to the next question, about legislation advancing out of committee and then getting to the floor. I mean, that's, that's the key aspect of committee chair. What sort of power and latitude do committee chairpersons have, Senator, to just not even bring legislation up for a vote in a committee? Can they just... Just basically table it, put it in the trash, whatever. <laughs> the committee chairman doesn't have to bring a bill out. Okay. And we've seen examples of that, and I've, I can attest to the fact that the lieutenant governor's been very disappointed in some of those decisions, but he has tried to let chairman be chairman. Okay. He assigns the bills and the chairman, and also a bill can get amended to the point where it can run off the rails, or you learn something new, and the chairman says, I don't think that bill is ready to come out. We had that happen on uh, PBM bills the last couple of years. Uh, that's pharmacy benefit management, yeah. and I, that's a whole other story for another day. Yeah. But I firmly believe we need reform in this state, and we failed to get that legislation moved through. And mm-hmm. it's not been the fault of the lieutenant governor or chairman. It is, it's a very complex issue. It so is. just because a bill dies doesn't mean somebody killed it. Um, and one of the tough things, the 10 years that Candy McDaniel hadn't passed a bill, I have to remind people, and I told someone last night, it was as if the lights came on, um, lieutenant governor's only – Hoseman's only been lieutenant governor for four years, so that's ten years. Right. 
Okay, so I think the the next question uh, with respect to the power of committee chairmanships and and more importantly the risk of having Democrats in uh, in committee chair positions where we have a supermajority in the chamber. Was there any legislation that would have been good law for the state of Mississippi that failed to come out in a committee because a Democrat committee chairman would let it be considered brought up to the committee? I think they would be few and far between. I think there maybe have been some public health bills, which Senator Hob Brown is the chairman, that a bill didn't come out that maybe people thought it would or wanted it to come out. Of course, I'll also remind you that uh, Chairman Brown was the Judd B. chairman under Governor Reeves. And he was the public health chairman under Lieutenant Governor Bryant. Right. So it's it's that's consistency again. But uh, I'm sure there have been a few pieces, but not very much. And that's a great question because here's the other thing, that once you learn the legislative process that I didn't know as a freshman, I wasn't ready to be a chairman. You want to get manipulated? Give me power and authority without experience or knowledge. But um, you can make amendments on the floor. And one of the things that happens is, you know, if a code section is open and, say, my bill died in committee, I could go and offer an amendment on the floor and, and put my legislation inside somebody else's legislation where that code section's open. I go back to candidate McDaniel. He didn't speak on a bill this year. He didn't come to the well on any bill. So when he says, Delbert Hoseman killed my legislation, it's simply untrue because he didn't try to revive it. I, I told mm-hmm. somebody the other day. He's killed more of his own legislation than anybody has. But you literally could have offered amendments. I've done it. I've tried to put my stuff in and been successful to work with that. But you also have to go talk to your colleagues to move your legislation. I dropped bills, you know, the first couple of years, and they didn't come out of committee. I didn't really know to go to the committee chairman and say, hey, this bill is very important to me. Um, This is why this bill is important. You have to work your bills uh, to have success. Okay, so here's what makes it tough for just the average voter, and I put myself in that category, trying to understand all this stuff, we're hearing you you make these assertions about his uh, sort of inactivity as a, a state senator in terms of the number of bills authored, passed, etc. And then we see from his camp and his surrogates these uh, these listings of bills that he's been involved in. How are we supposed to discern What's, what's real and what's not in that stuff. So, for example, uh, they claim he passed a bill into law protecting students' rights to pray in school, passed our state's E-Verify law, passed a bill cutting red tape on Mississippi small business owners. I'm not sure specifically the bill there. Killed the terrible voter ID bill that Lieutenant Governor Hoseman uh, suggested, proposed to the legislature <coughs> when he was Secretary of State. Right. So, uh, how do you reconcile that? Uh, well, easy. All of the bills he passed are greater than 10 years ago. He's been in the okay. Senate for 16 years, four terms. Yeah, he keeps dropping true. term limit bills, but he's been there four terms. But uh, that I, I agree that he passed some bills, but for 10 years he's not passed a substantive bill. He's passed three bills. One of them was naming something. One of them was uh, West Nile Mosquito Awareness Week, and one of them was uh, Beauty Pageant Winner. Now, those were important to the people that he passed, but those are the three bills, okay. and I've researched it myself. Okay, so then the time period, I think, the sure. time frame that's evaluated yes. is what's important here. So you're saying in 10 years, three bills, Yes. And but if you look at his total history in the state Senate, that's 16 years, four terms. 
he, he's got some legislation to his credit, just not in the last decade. That's right, and, and you, that's a good point. He's also been a chairman in the past, and in his second of his four terms, he was chair of elections. Well, I find it interesting, this year, under Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman, we passed a bill to prohibit ballot harvesting. I think that's very important. Okay. We passed a bill to make sure there was a paper trail for your ballot with these machines. We also, I think, year before last, made sure there was money, probably through ARPA funding, to help our counties buy these machines. Make sure that we're securing our elections. And we passed an election integrity bill that gave audit. Those are four major pieces of legislation about elections. Um, you know, candidate McDaniel was chair of elections up to 2016, going into the 2016 election. Why in the world were these things not done earlier? Yeah. I mean, he, he can talk all he wants, but he left a lot of meat on the bone as it relates to elections. Okay. All right, so if you can hang around, i got some more questions Love for to. you. Love to. Yes, yeah. thank you. We've got Senator Daniel Sparks in the Element Well studio. We're talking about the elections. They're two weeks away. Stay with us. FM.FM. Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk, Mississippi. Okay, that's one of my favorite tunes. That's from Crosby, Stills, Nash. That's about 68 or 9 or so. Got to look it up. That was the original album. Has Sweet Judy Blue Eyes on it. What year? You see 69. It? 69, I told you. Uh, read the lyrics and tell me you have a clue what they're talking about, will you? I'm not inebriated. <laughs> I think that may have been some drug-induced lyrics there. Uh, it's a great tune, though. So, Chris from Ops, we're, we're sitting here, and we, we've been discussing the uh, the committee chair appointments, and I, I'm not here to either attack, honestly, or defend that. I really want to understand. Yeah. And I will ask the lieutenant governor about this, and I'll ask uh, the challenger, Senator McDaniel, about this issue, because you even share it with me. You've right. heard that from out and, right. and about in the public. It, it, is, uh, it certainly is a strong talking point. Right. Uh, you got a supermajority in the chamber, and you've appointed Democrats uh, to chairmanships, and you've left some Republicans on the sidelines. Yeah, I mean, I can understand right. why that would be an issue. So Chris from Oxford says this is really BS about the committee chairman, and hence that's why people are mad about the ballot initiative. They're still holding it hostage, and that's the whole reason for the ballot initiative is because of the committee chairman. I may have not worded it correctly, but you know what I'm saying, Gerard. Not sure if you feel the same, but maybe convey my message. Okay, so we, we did, Chris, and let me address that uh, before we, we ask the senator to. Um, I, I don't think, Chris, that, that uh, having Democrats serve as committee chair are the reason we don't have the ballot initiative reinstated. 
That is a function of the inability to reconcile between a House version and a Senate version of restoring the ballot measure. But let's be clear, and Rhino, you can attest to this, I've read Senator John Polk's exact quotes on the air last week. The senator clearly believes that we have a representative form of government and doesn't seem to be reading between the lines of his statements a big fan of the ballot measure process. And he chairs the committee where that passes and, and then it goes out to the floor. But we did get a bill in the Senate. We did. And, but it's and not something that's going to pass the House and vice versa. That's right. And, and the legislative process is is, uh, is frustrating for legislators and I'm, I'm sure for people uh, often back at home. And uh, one of the things that, that I guess I probably should say, I've gotten really engaged in this race um, because of what I believe to be mis-messaging. And social media uh, can be very good and it can be very difficult. But uh, in March, uh, there began to be a lot of commentary from Candidate McDaniel on issues like the superintendent of education the REPAC, things that I was watching live in real time. I've worked with both of these men for the last four years, and that's why I support who I support is from my body of work and what I've seen them do. But uh, I began to push back on social media with my colleague, and uh, he blocked me on April 19 of 2023, and I'm blocked to this day on Twitter and Facebook. That's the great constitutional defender. And I'll be honest with you, I think some of our conservative constitutional folks are asleep at the wheel because the Fourth Circuit and Second Circuit have spoken to this, and you can't block people on public figure um, social media sites. But that's okay. I went to my own page, and I started putting up videos and trying to explain some of the things, like the 13 chairman, uh, because I don't want mis-messaging to affect people's votes. Right. Uh, some people are going to choose a different candidate than I do, and that's great. That's that's the process. But it just continued. Like, there's, there's things that aren't little, but there was Amendment number 5 to HB 1020. You know HB 1020. That's been litigated. It's being litigated. Solly Norwood, a Democrat, offered an amendment, Amendment number 5, and it was to strip out the permit to protest part. I stood up. I asked a question. I said, is this because you believe we shouldn't impose free speech zones? Everywhere should be a free speech zone. He said, yes. I voted for that amendment. I was one of only three Republicans that voted for that amendment. Hmm. So, And Senator McDaniel wasn't one of them. So that's a free speech issue. That's not going to show up on the little scorecards that come out of D.C. They look at 1% to 5% of your votes, and they want to come tell our constituents who we are. They want to control you with that vote. You know, our friend Russ Latino today uh, dropped an article about how the L.A. Times has had to walk back their criticism of the Mississippi miracle. You know, they mocked Education. us, and, and I am so proud that, that he's calling them out on that. I think there's a lot of people going to have to walk some stuff back. But if they walk it back after August, eighth and we voted on something that isn't true like redistricting in madison county i'm an attorney i'm very interested in the court redistricting there has been zero discussion amongst legislators about that that it was pulled out of i don't know where but it is false and i'm telling you it's false not because i'm for some candidate it's false because i'm a senator I'm one of 52, and I'm an attorney, and I'm very interested in the first congressional, or excuse me, the first judicial district, because there's been discussions up there. We're seven counties, so I'm very in tune with that. Well, I want to tell the people of Madison County, it's not been discussed in the Senate. That's just not true. You go on and on and on. Benny Thompson's district, they've said. 
oh, we've drawn him into South Mississippi, we've enlarged this district. That's a math issue. You have to have an equal number of population with a plus or minus. They've complained that we drew it south. Where did they want to draw it? Into DeSoto County? Is that where uh, Senator McDaniel wanted to draw the map for Benny Thompson? Because he had to have some population. If not DeSoto, Madison County, you have to go where there's population. So when he goes out and he says things like this, I find it just disgusting because it's not true. And we have good people out there that rely on people like me and like him to tell them what's really going on. By the way, pay raise bill, Lieutenant Governor pay raise. He said this on your show. It's a 41% increase for the Lieutenant Governor job he's now running for, and he's an eye on the vote. And I think he told you he wasn't in the room when it got voted on. So just that's unfortunate. He also told you that he wasn't going to take that extra pay. Now, we'll see how that works. I think Pers will have something to say about that. I, don't I think, think I, you did, can reject I do it. recall asking that question. Yeah. He was, And we, we had him on the show. It was maybe back in March yes. time frame. And uh, we, we uh, had him on for an hour. Yes. I, uh, I let him uh, stay on for an hour. And, and I say let him because the host here, by the way, do have control of that. Rhino can attest right. to that. We're not told you're going to do. The only thing we'll be told is if we're interviewing a candidate it, based on FCC rules, we'll limit that to one segment. Right. But if it's a guest, it's our discretion, just and, based on how the conversation is You going. did a great job, and he talked about a lot of things. He it talked was a great about conversation. Look, 401, which you and I talked about a lot, HB 401. He told you on his show he voted against it in committee. I'm going to show you the video where he got up and walked out of the vote before it was taken. Talking re- about the, the, the vehicle. The auto, yeah, auto dealer That you and I disagree that, on, yeah. but so, we've done so it you, respectfully. Yeah, but you know it well. Well, the reason I know he walked out of the room, I'm the one presenting the bill, and I'm watching him because he's this great orator. He's this super calculated and intelligent guy who I thought was going to come after me on the bill, so I'm prepared. And I watched him get up and leave. I went and pulled YouTube. Again, Delbert Hoseman brought you transparency. He also brought me the ability to give the tail of the tape. And the tail of the tape is going to show he left the room before the vote. So he, I will say that I applauded him for voting against the bill because I, I did not support the bill. And I know that in conversations I had with the lieutenant governor, he did support the bill, as did you and most sure. of your yes. colleagues yes. and over in the House as well. That's That's a different story. But... Uh, but but I didn't realize that um, maybe his his participation in the committee that when they took that up I didn't realize that and, and see that's out. where the work's done thirteen fifteen is a bill that's come out lately that's that the anti porn bill that's right and oh. there's been an advertisement and and the McDaniel campaign has cried foul because it is said in the advertisement that he didn't vote for he was absent when the porn bill was voted on well. There are multiple votes. I showed you earlier 27 actions on that bill that took place. The committee work, if he wanted to beat 401, he should have stood up in committee and said something. He didn't say anything in committee. He didn't say anything on the floor. The 1315 bill on March 28th, excuse me, February 28th, the committee meeting happened. It was an hour and a half committee meeting. He just wasn't there. So he didn't vote in committee. That's what was said. Should there have been clarification and said Senator McDaniel skipped the very important work-intensive one-and-a-half-hour committee meeting where really the nuts and bolts and guts of legislation is done, they'd have run out of time in the commercial. Yeah, the, it's a little misleading, and I've expressed my concerns to the Hoseman campaign about that. It's a little misleading because it, it conveys the message that the senator did not vote for the bill. That's not actually true. He voted for the bill, the anti-porn bill, yes. which I'm HB 1315. He's officially recorded as a yay uh, in the record, but it is true that Judd B., 
which deliberated the bill, which considered the bill, of which he's a member, he was absent that particular day. And I, I don't that's know right. anything beyond that. And the only reason we know that is because we reviewed the video. And and that video is brought to you by Delbert Hoseman. I'm thankful that, that that's there, because I don't like the gamesmanship. I don't like the misleading part. But as you well know, a bill could be voted on multiple times. Right. It could get changed in the House. It comes back in conference. If I vote no on the final conference bill, I could say I didn't vote for that bill. But I voted for the first version. I mean, yeah. it's. But the truth is, come to the come to committee. He do, he's not a frequent visiting committee. But when you go an entire year going into an election and you don't raise your voice from the floor of the Mississippi State Senate to speak on any bill, offer any amendment, and he told him in Oxford, Mississippi, why he did it. He said the Senate doesn't take debate seriously. I was sitting in the room. Um, hey, I take debate seriously, I take this job seriously, I take the primary seriously, and I really want people to do their research, to look at the record, to get away from the rhetoric, and support the candidate they believe has got the future of Mississippi in their mind. If and you can hang, work. we'll continue this, because yes. I want to ask you about bills that maybe never even got to the committee when we come back. Sure. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. We'll do it live on Super Talk Mississippi. Appreciate that, Rhino. Some more uh, anniversary music. So, uh, Senator, that brings me back to the days. Uh, it's called Dixie Week back then when I was at Ole Miss. And there was a band out of Atlanta, Georgia, that was very popular and used to play a lot at Ole Miss. And they were fantastic. I, it's hard to believe they never really got a recording gig. They were called Choice. And they brought the 18-wheeler up. I mean, this this wasn't your typical, you know, little fraternity party band. It's the 18-wheeler with choice on it. And I promise you, they could play that song, which was popular at the time. That's when uh, Boston released that album, 1976. This was 77. It sounded just like that. I mean, they had the setup. And uh, so uh, my lovely wife, uh, my girlfriend at the right. time, and I were dancing to that song in the Grove, listening to Choice. That sounds like either the Velcro Pygmies or U.S. from the uh, from the 90s and the 2000s when they were there. But yeah, they, awesome. they put on shows. Great venue. All right, so we're talking to Senator Daniel Sparks. Let's, let's talk about – well, first, let's just finish this up about the, the senator and your contention that Senator McDaniel, that uh, really only three bills that he authored that passed in the last – decade. Their camp says it's because that legislation he introduces uh, gets double-referred or maybe is too conservative uh, for the 
the persuasion, the character, if you will, of the Senate that is more moderate than he is, and that's why he's unable to get legislation through. And, and that may be what he's telling his followers. And, and like I told a lady last night that came up to me who supports him, she was so kind, so sweet, and she, she asked about that very issue. And I said, to my knowledge, he's never approached me on a piece of legislation. And, and she had a – the look on her face was like, she said, are you serious? And I said, yes, ma'am. I said, I go to the chairman. I go to other members on the committee because I got a committee first. Yeah. And um, I go to other members. I go to the ones who I think are against it to say, hey, what are you against? Is there a way that I can make this palatable? Uh, go to people that support it and say, would you step up and talk to the chairman? You you literally have to work your bills. But to work your bills, you have to show up. Uh, the senator I must sit in his office. By the way, I don't have an office either because I'm a freshman. Um, my office is the floor of the Mississippi State Senate. So I'm on the floor at my desk. <laughs> And uh, Senator McDaniel comes to the floor on bills that interest him, and that's it. He, he's not in the chamber. So when I'm in the chamber, things are happening. I'm walking over to other people. I'm trying to talk to them about bills. It kind of reminds me of the old adage I heard the other day a guy say about an athlete. You are who the locker room says you are. I don't care what your press clippings say. I don't care what you tell your fans. You are who the locker room says you are because they know you. And the locker room's the Mississippi State Senate, and they know him. And so a lot of times his legislation doesn't pass because he doesn't work it. And when he says it's too conservative, I don't know about that. You know, we passed income tax bill. I heard your interview with Grover Norquist the other yeah. day. And, and, you know, and he kept blaming the lieutenant governor. He must have been reading McDaniel's press clippings because I would not have voted for the bill. The bill's triggers were not indexed for inflation. And Grover Norquist is a Harvard-educated, work-for-the-Reagan-administration guy. He knows about indexing tax brackets because that came out in the early 80s. That was a game-changer. Big deal. Um, the triggers weren't indexed for inflation, 1.5%. We were in 6% inflation, moved to 8% inflation. That's why I didn't support their bill. It's because mathematically it didn't work. The lieutenant governor is a tax attorney trained at one of the best LLM for tax schools NYU. in the country. So, so to say that, and the, and the lieutenant governor doesn't vote unless there's a tie. So all these things, even though Mr. Norquist is very smart, and I want to continue to cut taxes, but we've had comprehensive tax policy, immediate expensing we passed this year for businesses. Uh, we had the software as a service, that should be close to your heart, not being taxed. We, Sa sales yeah, tax. That, uh, that's right. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, as, as sales tax. Oh, it's brutal. And it, we're one of the only states in the country that taxed it. And so we took that up. DOR was going to expand it, and we said, no, we're not going to do that. Then uh, the salt tax cap. We get into real complex yeah. stuff. We, we've got a bypass for that, for flow-throughs. So when he says it's too conservative, I don't know it's too conservative. Sometimes he may not want to get in the weeds on the complexity. But I'll give you another example. We had the governor called us for a special session for an economic development project for the Golden Triangle. Senator McDaniel no-showed that. Largest economic development project in the history of the state of Mississippi. We've had a historic four years. I agree with Governor Reeves. We had a good session, $2.3 billion into infrastructure. We've had historic teacher pay raise, historic income tax cut, historic gains in education in our children. We've had historic economic development project. All those things have happened in the last four years. The only Republican saying Mississippi's had a bad last four years is Chris McDaniel. And I don't believe we have. Now, are the things we need to do going forward? Sure. Do I agree with everything that Lieutenant Governor Hoseman's for? Certainly not. We've battled the last four years. If he comes back, we'll battle the Be next four years. Before we go, do you believe that he single-handedly blocked elimination of the income tax? No, I was in the room. As a freshman, because my undergrads in accounting, master's in tax, I actually was in the room with the chairman voicing my opinion the trigger was broken was what I shared 
there were other issues within the bill. The other thing is the best plan they had laid forward eliminated the income tax in 12 to 16 years. The very best plan. We are eliminating almost a third in four years. No triggers, no change. We may beat them to the punch because when we come back, if revenues continue to hold, things continue to go the direction they go. Reform. We do more. We do more. So it's unfair appreciate you to say you blocked it. But thank, thank you. you for having me. I appreciate, appreciate it. you, Senator Daniel Sparks. We're coming right back after the news break, folks. Stay with us. Get ready. Get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. You're wrong, Thomas. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. It is just wrong. Uh, again, I encourage you to go to the Capitol, Thomas, and go talk to the members. Talk to your representatives. I know you said you have. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But I, I just know that in my discussions with numerous members of the Senate, this whole issue of eliminating the income tax cannot be hung on one person in the Senate. And I know that the person who presides over the Senate, just like the person who presides over the House, has a lot of stroke, has a lot of sway, has a lot of influence. There's no doubt about that. I'm, I'm not disputing that. All I'm saying is they didn't have to have their arm twisted uh, to align with the lieutenant governor in opposition. I do remember this issue coming up about the indexing of the triggers to inflation. I do remember that coming up, uh, Rhino. It's I don't remember who we were talking about. It may have been just something we pulled up one day and, and uh, handled. But that, I mean, that's neither here nor there at this point. But he did once again confirm, yeah, we're talking about something that if everything aligns perfectly, I mean perfectly, 12 to 16 years. And I think the average person, I say again, so Thomas wanted to remind me that our audience is not the, and I'm quoting him here, the normal mindless people that spend all day listening to the same songs on the radio. They listen to talk radio. They know the power that leadership has. I totally agree with you on that, Thomas. I, I do believe that our, our audience is informed and educated and uh, make good, salient, concrete points, cogent points, many of which we share, even if they counter ours. In our opinions, and that's fine. That's what the show's all about. Happy to do that. But what I'm saying is I, I do think the average person, when they see a candidate say, I'm for eliminating the income tax, and I pose this as a question to you, Rhino, because you have these discussions in your orbit as well. You can't help but not think, oh, yeah, once they get in there, it's gone that year. Would you believe? Would you agree with that? Yeah, it's about half and half. You've got about half of the voting body that believes their candidate is going to do everything they promise on day one 
and it's all going to be sunshine and rainbows. And then you've got the other half that are more realistic that realize a campaign promise is a promise that's likely not going to be kept anytime soon. And I would say, if at all. and I would say that's because it's the old fool me once, shame on me, yeah. for, you know, deal. So because they've witnessed it at all levels of government. Wait, you promised all this, but I haven't seen that materialize. I don't come. think there has ever been a politician at any level of governance that has made campaign promises and kept all of them. Yeah, and so the dilemma is if you're honest and you and you convey it more as a goal and as uh, in, in pledge effort and committed to And it's pers- not enough for the half that believe it'll happen on day one. Right. you got to say, nope, I'm going to do this. Even though, no, you're not. You can't. And thank God you can't because we don't have a dictatorship here. We have a representative government. you got to have some help, is the point, to get that done. Now, again, I'm all for eliminating the income tax. I still argue, however, that Without making revenue adjustments elsewhere, and in the state of Mississippi, in that context, at the state level, really the only other source you have of revenue that's material is sales taxes. So we still have a low low sales tax rate relative to other states around us, relative to states that don't have an income tax. That's how they do it. And they have other forms of taxes. Uh, as well, and you, you'd have to really lay them all out side by side, honestly, if you look at all the ways you're taxed. Um, but I still believe that without some adjustment to the sales tax, which drew lots of ire, as we have discussed, from many different groups, that you're looking at a very long period of time to fully eliminate the income tax. I submit Never it would happen, based on a a triggered approach. I submit we never hit those triggers. And because it's such a long period of time, you are, or the, the law itself would be subject to the whims of future legislatures that might just do away with it. With, because, it, oh, well, these triggers haven't been met. We just get, it's not going to happen. Just do away with it. 12 to 16 years is what it was comp- contemplated. So, uh, let's see here on the ceasefire text line. If Delbert is reelected, I'm sure that Senator will be a committee chair. If McDaniel wins, sounds like his office will stay on the Senate floor. Well, yeah, I hear you. And I, I hate that, honestly, that uh, leaders would practice retribution like that. I, I would hope that. You know, things that happen and get said during a campaign or put by the wayside when it comes to doing the work of governing that leaders act rather on behalf of or, or with the backdrop of whatever is in the best interest of the people they're working for. That's what I would hope. Now, that's not a statement about any specific member being appointed to anything or not. It's just a, more of a conceptual view that you, you got to put that stuff aside. And I hope that'd be the case. But I, I hear you. That's um, Unfortunately, as you know, that happens in politics. There's some degree of retribution once someone gets to a point where they can inflict it. 
And I hope that's not the case. Uh, let's see. Thomas is right. We are informed. We also have good memories. Based on what I have heard, Chris McDaniel say and do precludes me from considering him from lieutenant governor. I'm glad he's not my senator. That from Moe's. Well, that's why we go to the ballot box to appreciate that, Moe's. That's why we go to the ballot box to vote. I mean, there's no doubt there are strong feelings on, on both sides, and uh, people have their reasons. Um, honestly, what I hope is perceived by our audience is that what we try to do is just um, offer the truth, deal in the truth. And we have uh, found the need to, uh, I guess, call out both sides in, in what appear to be, I think, mischaracterizations. I think like the anti-porn bill, for example, that the Hoseman campaign suggests Senator McDaniel did not vote for. That's certainly the way one perceives it when they hear the ad. As we as we have uh, pointed out, that's not accurate. It is accurate that he wasn't in the committee meeting. I, I viewed the committee video with my own eyes, so I know that. On the other hand, we've got the McDaniel campaign asserting that Lieutenant Governor Hoseman refused to comply with Donald Trump's request for detailed private voter information in 2020. That's not true. That occurred in 2017. And I think the reason that makes a big difference is because 2020 is the election that many, including in our state, believe the election uh, was stolen. The presidential election was so-called stolen. The President Trump still says it today, and I think to his own detriment, honestly, when it gets to a general. So that's a, a clear distinction. But I guess the point is you got assertions and mudslinging going from both sides and you need a little nuance, a little context, a little clarification, and that's what we're doing. Now, someone well, one else, thing I'm seeing a lot of is when talking about Trump with the whole stolen election conversation, there are a lot of people in the, the, the squishy middle, as we call it, yep. that are raising the question, all right, it was stolen while you were in power. Now that you're not in power, how are you possibly going to prevent it from being stolen again? Right. And, and, and that's certainly important. Now, I will say this, the lieutenant, uh, pardon, excuse me, let me correct that. Got so many things going on. Senator Chris McDaniel has made the statement in his social media that he believes all voting should occur on Election Day and paper ballots. He's made that statement. But I've also seen him promote, and I'll ask him about this, I think it's fair, I've also seen him promote the fact that Early voting is open. Go out and vote. Seems to be a little conflict, you know, and I may be reading more into that than it is. I, I, th I think it'd be impossible, honestly, to just have elections on a single day. If you think about our veterans, for example, and, and to his point, to his credit, I believe he authored a bill accommodating our veterans so that they could, not our veterans, our service members, pardon me on that, our service members, so that they could vote absentee, many are stationed where they can't get to their polling place where they live. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio. It's so awesome! Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the 
on Super Talk Mississippi. Stumble to the kitchen for myself a cup of ambition and yawn and stretch and try to come to life. Jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping. Out on the streets, the traffic starts jumping. The folks like me on the job from nine to five. Working nine to five. We are back in the Element Well studio. Dolly Parton bumping us in here. We got lots of texts rolling in. Going to try to get to those for you. Ricky in Aberdeen says, Congratulations on 42 years. Ed in the Delta says, Happy anniversary. 46 years for me and my forever bride. Congratulations, Ed. That is awesome. Quite the milestone. We're talking about the price of gas, which is trending upward because the price of oil is up $11 this, uh, this month alone. Significant. That's about, what, 13%. $3.09 in Batesville on the C Spire text line. $2.79 in Polk's Drugs on Washington Avenue and Ocean Springs today in Curtis and Biloxi. Wow, that's surprising uh, down on the coast there, Curtis. Daniel Sparks' Republican rating is 60%. Not only that, he is a big supporter of the left-leaning lieutenant governor on the C Spire text line. The senator is comparing McDaniel as a senator and not as an effective candidate for lieutenant governor. Let's be fair. Well, I hear you, but certainly a person's resume is a, is a factor and is um, valid uh, to, to scrutinize, to evaluate, to assess when a person's a candidate, whether that resume is one of serving in political office for some time, such as Senator McDaniel has, now being in office 16 years as a state senator. Um, and then if it's a person who's never run for office, then you have to look at their body of work and whatever their their endeavors have been to that point and, and consider those. So I, I think that that's now, I would agree with you that's ne- not necessarily exclusively 100% an indicator, a harbinger of how they would perform, but it's um, certainly something that yeah, I think is worthy of consideration at a minimum. Well, let's see here. It seems you, Jimmy from Monticello, it seems you only have Hoseman cronies on your show. Well, I don't know about that. Um, Rhino and I do not handle, as we've indicated many times before, we do not handle the guest scheduling. That is, uh, that's for a different set of folks that handle all that here. But I will point out that we did have Senator McDaniel on this program. I want to say it was in the March or April time frame, Rhino, if you recall. And we conducted an hour interview. And again, this wasn't anything that management said, keep it to X number of segments. I just thought that the conversations w- was flowing so well. And, it, and as Rhino knows, it is at the discretion. It was at the end of February. Okay. So approaching March there, they were still in session. And, uh, and it was a great conversation. And I, I felt since he had um, 
uh, was was running. Let's see, had he announced yet? I think he had, right, when we were talking to him. Yeah, he'd already announced and filed. And so we, uh, I felt like that it was good for him to come on the program and stay for an extended period of time to explain his positions and plans and vision as lieutenant governor of the state. So he's on for an hour. He was uh, was the senator. Also, recently on with Mr. Gallo, that was a week and a half ago, I believe. Uh, maybe maybe two weeks ago. So he personally was on. Um, you know, as, as far as others, I'll certainly run it up the flagpole. But honestly, in in general, we don't uh, we don't we're not involved in the in the guest scheduling process. That's a full time job. It's beyond a full time job. It's often why we find out, as Rhino knows, sometimes sometimes late into the evening. The, the the night before the show because it takes that long to nail down the guests. Sometimes they've got issues, conflicts, they've got to do some research on their schedules, but we still want them to come on, our content our, our director does, and so uh, that, can, that can extend on into the evening. We don't have any kind of, like, I can't tell you what the schedule looks like tomorrow. We're going to the Shelby County Fair. I haven't seen it yet. And my guess is it still may be forming up because you can expect a lot of uh, guests, given the situation, the environment, and uh, most of whom we're going to be talking to, I feel certain, are candidates for office. They're all going to be over there, so my, my suspicion is we'll have a full slate of guests. That's what I've been giving a heads up on, but I've not seen who's coming on when and at what time. have no idea at this point. Who is paying this young man for his time right now, Mississippi taxpayers? Not really. They get paid while they're in session. If you look at the pay of legislators, it's geared around their um, their days of service in the, in the Capitol. They get paid a salary and some minor expense reimbursement. In the state of Mississippi, it works out to be about $23,500. That's hardly the pay of any of these people from uh, for for a full time uh, year round job. They, uh, I'm not sure any members of our legislature do not have full time jobs. They, some of them may be retired from full time employment and moved on, but uh, virtually all of them have some sort of outside employment in addition to serving. I'm not defending that. I'm just pointing out that it's not actually accurate to say here in the middle of the summer that they're getting paid. That 23.5 is designed to cover. And if you look at the law, the way it's structured, remember all the the uproar about uh, the bill to increase legislators' pay, right? And that had to do with how much for those three months they're in session. There was an increase contemplated. I want to say it was 4,500 bucks, 1,500 bucks. Is that what you recall? A month somewhere around like, there, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you could uh, remember um, Senator Chad McMahon and Paul Gallo got into that a little bit. Remember that little dust up concerning that? So that's not really accurate. Election things weren't done earlier because hadn't needed them before Democrats took advantage. Ballot harvesting for sure, says Carol in New Albany. Well, you know, the Republicans, including Donald Trump, are encouraging Pilot harvesting. Not sure if you've seen that or not. 
Good info. So when will supporters of McDaniel be on the show? Well, I think we just went through that. And um, we, uh, so I don't know what the story is there. But I do know the senator will be on tomorrow. I expect him to. I haven't seen the lineup yet, but I, because lieutenant governor, uh, or pardon me, candidates for lieutenant governor are slated to speak tomorrow at the fair, I feel certain that that will be the day that each of them will appear on the show. So I look forward to that conversation. Why was Senator Sojourner redistricted out of office, says Tap Realty. That's Derek Tap. I have no idea, uh, Derek, and I'm happy to ask that question. I have before, and honestly, I can't remember what the answer was. So I, I really don't know um, at this point. And, and it doesn't mean she can't run for office. It just means that, I guess, the demographics change in that district to make it more difficult. So I can't, I can't answer that question. I don't know if that was a personal thing or if it just worked out that way and trying to move the district lines around. Not really sure. When Tate Reeves was lieutenant governor, he appointed Melanie Sojourner as a chairman. She was a freshman. Okay, well, that's, that's fair enough. But so here's the way, here's the way I would couch that deal. The people elected Delbert Hoseman to be lieutenant governor in 2019. You are conferring, as part of that election, certain powers. That includes the power to appoint chairman. Now, if you're not happy with that, he's running for re-election. Express your grievance at the ballot box. That's my take on it. I mean, trying to, uh, I think, rationalize that action certainly could be of interest to people. I, I thought that the senator did a pretty good job of that. I have attempted to do so as well. But look, people can consume all the information and make their own mind up. And that's what we're trying to do here is convey as much information as we can. And we'll get the lieutenant governor's take on on his uh, appointment of Democrats. And we'll, we'll also find out how the, how the challenger, Chris McDaniel, would appoint committee chair, should he be elected um, as lieutenant governor? I think those are fair questions to ask of those respective candidates to know where they stand on that. Well, let's see. Sure is a lot of Republicans defended the Lou sure are. Yeah, a lieutenant governor seems desperate. Fact is, they are still ahead, but this makes them look worse, not better. Hmm. hmm. I don't know. That's, it seems like that, that would be kind of hard to figure out. We're coming right back with half an hour in the Element Well studio. Interrupt this program. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge. Huge, huge news. Huge, huge. Huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk, Mississippi.
We are back in the Element Well studio. We're looking for the date when we had the senator on. It's February 24th. Thank you, Rhino. Yeah, Sharon and Brandon, that's a good point. Thanks for suggesting that, Sharon, that we pass that on. February 24th uh, on our YouTube site, right? Yeah. Yeah, Super Talk Mississippi YouTube. You'll find it. Now, after the interview was conducted, I shared it quite a bit, uh, honestly, because uh, and it wasn't because I was promoting him or any other candidate. I just do it so people have the opportunity to listen in case they missed it, you know, when it was live. That's what we do this for, to, to inform. Ronnie and Tupelo says, two to one odds, you're a Hoseman supporter. Romy and Tupelo. You have no idea, Romy. And, and I'm not going to say you're wrong or right, because I've made it very clear that I will not reveal, nor will I endorse either candidate. And that's uh, honestly a function of being acquainted quite well with both, having a long relationships with both. I've supported both in their various political endeavors. And so I, I just feel like that it's um, inappropriate to do that here on this program. And rather, I've taken the stance of remaining neutral and trying to just inform, convey information. And I believe that's working because we've caught heat from both sides. We, and this is the second or third time that I've been over this, but I know everybody doesn't get to tune in all the time. Uh, let's see, Stanley in uh, Lafayette, Louisiana, Lafayette, I guess. Delbert Hoseman is just like every other politician. They are liars, every last one of them. Well, that would mean that Chris McDaniel is too, right, Stanley, <laughs> if every last one of them are. I, I think liar is a bit of a strong word. I, I just think, you know who we have to blame? Us. Because you went through it. We expect that. You better get in there and make that happen day one. And if you don't, I'm not voting for you. Right? Oh, you, yeah. you know what I'm talking about. I saw somebody um, yesterday on social media take uh, Senator McDaniel to task. I'll read what they said. This is public. It's on social media, so I'm not revealing anything that's confidential. I asked for your stance on voting machines and President Donald Trump. You didn't give a direct answer. What, in all caps, exactly does fair, workable ballot initiative mean? I am getting very frustrated at your runaround answers. I won't vote for you if you don't want to do away with voting machines and don't support Donald Trump. That's the litmus test. You got to support Donald Trump or I'm not voting for you. I've seen people say, you have to declare that the 2020 election was stolen. You've seen that, haven't you? Oh, yeah. Best be giving a direct answer. So the senator responded, said, I'm the only America First candidate in this race. I fully support the president and am the only person to have endorsed him and previously been endorsed by him. My opponent, on the other hand, told President Trump to jump in the Gulf of Mexico when he was asked for his help in securing our elections. On day one, we will get a working ballot initiative process. There you go. That's the promise. I believe the voice of the people should be heard, unlike my opponent, who has completely undermined the ballot initiative process in the recent session. So 
That So you see, though, you want my vote, you've got to pledge you're getting rid of them voting machines, and you will walk the plank and support unequivocally Donald Trump. What the hell that has to do with being lieutenant governor? No clue. I don't really care who you support for president. I, I really don't. I care more about what you're going to do for the state in the future. And, I, and that's a message to everybody running for office, honestly. Kevin in Monticello says, I'm sure that if McDaniel called you right now, you would let him speak as much as time allows. I'm not sure if you're being serious or facetious there, Kevin, but the answer to that is, yeah, I would. We don't do call-ins. Well, We don't have that. By law, we would have to... That's true. We're within... That's right. My bad. So I forget that at this point, we're within... There's laws about that. 45 days of election. We offered him and gave him, we would have Have to to offer to Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman. The candidate, specifically. Correct. Has nothing to do with with others who are not candidates. but And there's like an FCC, I think it's a 45-day window leading up to the election at that, once you're in that point. And that's why, by the way, we had him on for an hour in February. We were not within that 45-day window. You're shaking your head in agreement. So then, but within that 45-day window, yeah, that's that's very carefully tracked. And that's why you guys notice that typically, if not almost... Without failure, they're all on at the same segment, same time, for the same period of time, one segment. So that that's in in uh, the the effort to ensure that we are consistent with law, and abiding with adhering to law, and just being fair. Chris and Pontotoc says, uh, and it looks like we haven't seen a text from Chris in a while here, and we appreciate it, Chris. I listen to your show almost every day while I work. I appreciate what I consider in-depth and fair questions, frequently eye-opening. Nice job on the interview with the senator today. I appreciate that, Chris, and that's, that's all we're trying to do. Neil from McGee says, I'm a McDaniel supporter, but Senator Sparks seemed intelligent and very well spoken. Well, I think I can I've known him for a long time. I can vouch for that. I, he and I may disagree on some policy. We did this year, honestly, on that vehicle bill. And Rhino, you can attest to this. He and I were on opposite sides of that. and I met with him privately numerous times, tried to talk him out of it, but I, I didn't succeed. So we didn't agree on that. It's probably the main legislation he and I saw differently, but we could still respect each other, have cordial conversation, and and be friends as we are. I mean, isn't that the way it's supposed to work? Honestly, live for another day. We fought the good fight, both sides. Hey, you won. Tip your hat. I don't like it. I'm still going to be critical of it, and I'm still going to work to change it to the extent I can. That's what it's all about. That's how, that's, that's how our system is supposed to function. I have to vote for the lieutenant governor, says Tim and McGee, because, again, Chris started his stuff, and, again, I was going to vote for him. I checked on bills passed he had a major part with. Don't get me wrong. I'm also surprised that the lieutenant governor got dirty also. Just don't like that. But what do you do? I I just think it's kind of par for the course, Tim, when you you get into very contentious races like this, and and you just can expect the mudslinging on both sides. 
I'll also uh, wanted to read this text I just received. So we were talking about legislative pay, and somebody said that that the senator was here earlier today and that he was getting paid by the taxpayers of Mississippi. I guess not happy about that since most of his time on the program he was discussing uh, Senator McDaniel's record and, and to some extent promoting um, his support for Lieutenant Governor Hoseman. But the $23,500, I don't know, man, it's not enough to suit up and go spend three months in the Capitol, especially if you're traveling and you're away from your family. And I, and I look, they sign up for it. I, I'm not feeling sorry for them. But Dan Carr, who is a very strong Chris McDaniel supporter, friend of mine as well, have a good relationship with him. Uh, I feel like I do, Dan. If that's not the case, please let me know. But I, I feel like you and I get along real well. He says, um, they all work a full-time job, because I made the point, I think, that they're virtually everybody in the Capitol has a full-time job. There may be a few who are retired. But he says they all work a full-time job unless they are retired. Regardless if you agree or disagree with them, they all sacrifice to be in Jackson. Their families also sacrifice. I completely agree with that. I think Dan is spot on on that, and I appreciate you sending that, uh, Dan. And I asked him, by the way, permission to read that on the air, as I always do, generally, when somebody texts me something like that. Not That's not on the text line. The text line, it's understood. Let's see. Hoseman to have that same amount. I have uh, see you've allowed a great amount of your airtime to someone who apparently anti-Mike Daniel. To be fair, will you allow someone who is critic of Hoseman to have the same amount of airtime? The question still stands. So I've answered the question, and I don't know what else you want me to do at this point. What what am I missing there, Rhino? Have I left anything out there? Doesn't seem like it. Larry Amai says, I wish Paul Gallo would stay neutral like you. Well, all I can say, Larry, is that he, too, is the host of an opinion show, and he expressed his opinion, and I expressed mine. Simple as that. And maybe it's just a function of long-term relationships I've had with, with both candidates. And honestly, I see strengths and weaknesses in both, as I do in virtually every candidate in every race, if you want to know the truth. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio with a final segment today. Gerard Gibbert, going beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. in the Element Well studio. It is the final segment of Middays. Earlier today, Rhino, about an hour and a half ago, we got a question from Brian Brian from Ellisville. Said happy anniversary. I assume we're close to the same age. My wife and I are 43 years. So was asking about just the, the financial condition of the federal government. Uh, seems a little concerned about the, the country 
experiencing continued financial difficulty, all valid concerns. Said, I'm somewhat secure financially having most everything paid for, but more concerned for kids and grandkids. Enjoy the show. Thanks. Um, you know, you're, it's, it's hard to speculate if, if we're going to experience uh, continued just poor financial conditions, economic conditions. I, I'm an optimist, and I always believe our best days are ahead, and, and I would certainly never um, lead young people to think anything otherwise. I think that's destructive and detrimental, honestly, uh, to start conveying that uh, those sentiments to young folks and uh, that, you know, things are such terrible, bad, and falling apart and just all the doom and gloom. I, I am uh, always optimistic, and the reason I'm always optimistic is because I have this incredible faith in human innovation the power of human innovation. And we continue to create these unbelievable, mind-boggling tools that allow human into innovation to innovate, to create. And that's how we will solve and continue to address our most pressing issues. And I think this country and free market capitalism offer the best chances by far of leveraging the power of human innovation. I'm optimistic, and I think you're going to see some uh, relatively rough times economically the next few months with interest rates going up. I'm talking to realtors who were saying that were sharing with me this morning at breakfast, like on the in the Destin area, which has been an incredibly hot and expensive real estate market for a while. That interest rates going up is absolutely. I just put the slam on that market. And that's not a surprise. That's what the Fed wants to do. I mean, that's their goal. But I do think we'll get through this. We'll see them start to retreat. And I, I think we're going to see really tremendous economic times. I know a lot of people say, well, that's not possible as long as Joe Biden's in office and this, that, and the other. But you see how things always kind of move back to the center in the equilibrium, such as what happened in the midterms? I think that's what happens because I just think we're somewhat of a polarized country, and that's good in that it's really hard for any party, any any political philosophy and system of government to um, take hold and dominate. And, and when that happens, honestly, it's probably not good whichever is in charge. So I think that the stalemate is kind of good. And I can tell you that the investment community and the business community likes that because as I've said so many times, faith, confidence, and certainty, that's what drives investment, expansion, and job creation. And you can have a lot of faith, confidence, and certainty when they can't do anything, honestly. So, uh, and I know a lot of folks have asked about, again, why can't we get somebody to come on that's more of a surrogate, as Daniel Sparks was, Senator for Hoseman, for Lieutenant Governor Hoseman. It's something I'll run up the flagpole. I, you know, I don't know um, how all that works, honestly. So, but I'll run up the flagpole and see what is uh, thought about that. And and I do want to apologize again. Thank you to Rhino for correcting me. Yeah, if Senator McDaniel wanted to call in and talk. I'm certainly willing to talk to him. But we do have to comply with FCC rules. That being that we're within the 45 day window of the election, so it's an equal time. So any time that we offered Senator McDaniel would have to be offered to Lieutenant Governor Hoseman. So, for example, the hour conversation we have with Senator Sparks, 
if we had Senator McDaniel on for an hour, we would have to let Governor, Governor, Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman on for an hour. Don't know that the schedules would allow that, so it might preclude allowing for an hour. That's because they are the candidates, and the rules Correct. apply to specifically to the candidates, not to others that might be speaking on their behalf. And that really wasn't my intention with the senator, and I don't really feel like so much that he did. It was more to educate, to inform. I wanted to understand this this uh, committee assignment process. We spent a lot of time on that and kind of how we ended up where we, we did with the, the elimination of the income tax, as an example, and, and some other issues as well. Uh, but look, the senator did some research, you know, on, on the candidates' records, and, and he talked about that. I just think that's perfectly reasonable. We, uh, we're out of time here today. And uh, it's a shame because we keep going on and we got more text on the text line. I apologize uh, for not being able to get to all those. We did our best with the time. Once again, we're going to be at the Neshoba County Fair tomorrow. i got to get up and drive over there, spending the night tomorrow, and then we'll be back on site, Founders Square, on Thursday as well. It's going to be a big one. If you're around, come by and see us. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.